This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. interested in learning how to study and teach the Bible in a flexible, affordable format, Lifeway Women Academy is where you begin. Lifeway Women Academy is online courses for women by women. When you sign up for a course, you'll gain immediate and indefinite access to teaching sessions from some of today's top theologians with deep dives into topics like how to study the Bible for yourself, what we believe, and more. Plus, you can take these courses at your own pace and revisit the content whenever you'd like. Learn more and discover current course offerings today at lifeway.com academy. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Hyman and I'm here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Good morning. Um, yeah. I feel like we should let people know that this is uh, the first time we've talked today uh-huh. um, as we're recording this. <laughs> but I feel like we're we're good. We did some little vocal warm ups ahead of time because uh, we're professionals, right? Right. The little tongue. Twi- <laughs> we're not even going to go into the tongue twisters. No, we're no. going to go right into the interview. So, yes. Kristen Kellen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're not new to the Mark Podcast. You've been on here before. It was for a different reason, but give us just a quick update on life and your family and what you're doing these days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so life just keeps going, right? Like it does for all of us. Um, so we had our fourth little one this past summer. So Elizabeth um, is Good eight name. months old. Now, it is a great name, <laughs> right? Um, the Elizabeths are the best. So uh, baby Elizabeth was born in June. So she's about eight months old now. So that makes baby number four. So six year old all the way down to eight months. So uh, in life, when people say update me on life, I think really it's just chaos. Uh, <laughs> it just stays crazy all the time. Uh, but at work here at Southeastern, so I'm still uh, associate professor of biblical counseling, but I also uh, stepped into a role a couple of months ago as the associate director of the Doctor of Education Studies program. So I did not know uh, that. Yeah, it's been fun. I love it. So uh, I love being able to do all the things from being a mama to being an educator to being a counselor. So I get the best of all those worlds. It's, it's great. That's so fun. So we actually wanted to talk to you a little bit more about counseling. Last year, you released a book called Counseling Women. So tell us a little bit about why you felt this was needed in today's ministry landscape. And also, how is counseling women different from counseling men? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm going to answer the second one first, Elizabeth, because it's funny in my preface, uh, I wrote something along the lines of, I think that we as women have have more in common with men than we have different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that there's an incredible amount that's different, but we're still very clearly different. Right. Um, and so I'm going to avoid going down the road of all the stereotypes about women. Um, <laughs> we know them, but there are some things that we as women, we're just different and we have different common struggles uh, than men tend to have. Um, and there are different ways that we would address struggles typically 
with women than with men. And so I wanted to provide just a comprehensive, as best I could in one book, a comprehensive guide for lay leaders in the church who have a woman who come and say, I'm struggling with anxiety or depression, and they just get a little nugget of how to start with them, um, just so that they know enough, uh, not enough to be dangerous, but enough to help, uh, and enough to know when something goes beyond their capacity. So um, I I wanted one resource where all of that was housed, Um, and and we have fantastic resources for counseling women. Um, Elise Fitzpatrick has written a number of books, so this is not to replace any of those. Uh, but some of those are a little bit older, and so this book was intended to uh, be a little more up-to-date and bring into um, the picture some kind of more contemporary approaches to counseling and counseling women. I think that's good because I know Lifeway used to have a Women Reaching Women in Crisis book, and we it went out of print a couple of years ago. It had kind of run its course, and so I was super excited when your book came out because there was a need. I mean, there definitely was a need and some issues had changed just a little bit or the way we approach different issues had changed a little bit. And so it's really, for, for those of you who are listening, who have asked me, you know, why do we, why do we not have it? It's because Kristen has written a new book. I mean, <laughs> Kristen's book really is, is kind of an answer to some of the things that we were looking for. So talk a little bit about some of the issues that you dive into, into the book and maybe some common issues that you're seeing among women, maybe that we've, that we're really struggling with these days. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I tried to hit as many of the most common ones. Uh, Now, a book that hits everything could be a thousand pages long, right? Uh, But things like anxiety, depression, grief, gender and sexuality, uh, singleness, marriage, parenting, um, chronic pain, those sorts of things are in there. Um, Because uh, you asked the question, Kelly, what are we seeing? Post-COVID now, we're seeing a lot more kind of that emotional emotional struggles, the anxiety, the depression, but I think it's stemming from the isolation and the loneliness that we felt and then pair with that some grief that's hard to get our hands around because it's not super tangible, right? Some of us lost people during COVID, but we we lost more than just tangible things or people. Um, everything went on hold for two years and we isolated ourselves and now we're coming back into spaces that just feel weird a little bit. Um, Where I see this the most acutely, if I can say it that way, is with our teenage girls. Um, So our teenage girls who didn't necessarily have great support systems to begin with three or four years ago, then came through COVID. And now they're they're in this space of, I don't know how to do this. And I'm a teenager, so it's harder anyways. Um, But those sorts of isolation, loneliness, kind of anxiety, depression, grief. And then of course, kind of the the struggle of the day for our teenagers is the gender and sexuality issues um, that they're trying to work through. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to some friends the other day because I realized that uh, my mentee like was in high school during COVID and just what a difference that makes in her life versus my life because I was in my mid thirties during COVID and those aren't really like monumental years like for everybody you don't go through these like typical milestones in your mid thirties and so I was like in some ways it feels like time stopped or like we skipped some years or something happened but like I can't imagine how it would feel for these kids who 
like major milestones happen during and and you know some of them we may look at back at and be like that wasn't as big of a deal but at that time it's a huge deal to like not have a prom or not have a graduation or things like that so how are you seeing that new like the gen z generation um like are you seeing a difference in the way that they that way that we need to counsel them through that yeah i I don't know that i would see a different way of counseling i would say it a different way i think i'm seeing the struggles that i saw in counseling them four or five years ago are exacerbated and so for instance the difficulty with face-to-face communication right Uh, that was a problem five years ago Uh, but now it, it feels like it's more of a problem or it's deeper of a problem or when there's conflict and conflict resolution right five years ago there was still social media there was still electronic devices kind of being our filter um, that hasn't changed but now it the way in which that's used I think is different um, and so it's becoming more difficult I think to to go deeper than it was four or five years ago and now we need it more than we did then Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think that's one of the reasons why your book is important as like an update, because social media is completely different now. And even like you said, post COVID, it's different, like the way that we interact with it, the way that we um, interact without it um, has changed. And so that's, that's good that 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 your book covers that for sure. Yeah, I'll I'll jump into Elizabeth real Mm -hmm. quick. One of the other things that I'm seeing is it seems like there's a greater divide, a generational divide, if I can say it that way, between teenagers and their parents. Because you hit on this earlier that in our 30s, right, or 40s or 50s, there's not this monumental thing with COVID. It's like, oh, well, that was what happened to 2021. It's just done. Uh, And so for grownups, we tend to think, well, just keep on moving, right? It's not that big of a deal. And then for teenagers or young people who are coming through that where it was a big deal, I've seen a little bit more uh, disconnect between them and their parents because for the parents, it wasn't a big deal for the kids. It was, and there's a lack of understanding. So even that is a factor in those conversations. Yeah, for sure. And I think we've seen that difference a little bit through things like nine 11. We were talking about that, like for the millennial generation, that was a huge thing, but I mean, Obviously, it had impacts for a very long time, and it's still impacting the way that we travel and things like that. But it was a one-day event that had implications for the future, whereas COVID was like months and months that, I mean, years that we were, like, dealing with it. And we're still dealing with it. Like, it's not like it's completely over. Um, So I think that is interesting. It'll be so interesting to see and such an opportunity for us to minister to that generation who has been changed forever by this in ways that we, it's, it's an opportunity for compassion and empathy for us, I think, because we, we won't be able to fully understand it, but we can try to have empathy for them and um, understand that they, they experienced it differently than we did. Yeah, I'd be curious, Kristen, when you see that, as far as like the issues of that generation of Gen Z, maybe especially, how how are we seeing that difference even in the spiritual side of that particular generation? I mean, do you feel like there is a a deeper hunger, that there may be a deeper searching? I, I mean, I'm thinking about some of the, the movements of God that we're seeing happening right, right. now. And I just wonder 
if the Lord is not using some of the things, the, the difficulties of that generation to to make their hearts ready. I don't know. Are you seeing yeah. that? I mean, you're around younger women a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, Kelly. I think I think what COVID did is bring out some of these existential questions, right? Those deeper, like, what is God doing? Why why are we suffering? Why is this happening? Um, I have seen more teenagers asking those deeper questions because I think COVID was this unique season of suffering that we didn't have words for, right? Because even as grownups, we had never experienced something like that. Um, And so we were trying to figure it out at the same time teenagers are trying to figure it out. Um, And we're asking questions the same time they are and they're watching, right? But yeah, I, I think we are seeing younger people, especially teenagers and young adults, asking more of those deeper spiritual questions um, that may not necessarily be directly about COVID, but they're about what COVID has led us to, this isolation, suffering, grief, a lack of words to understand, and even the the deep level of division that happened in our society in the midst of that and post-COVID that's still happening, right? Um, our, our young people are able to understand those things but they don't have decades of under of experience, rather, to give meaning to it. And so, yeah, I think it is leading to some of those questions. That's interesting. I think, too, okay, so a lot of women's leaders, when you think about counseling, and I, I think a lot of women go into ministry or, or in a ministry setting, and they don't realize that this is going to be, like, they're going to have to deal with women who have issues. And so they don't feel prepared, and they also don't know their boundaries of what can I say, what can I not say. So how how does your book kind of help that average layperson navigate the different circumstances? Right. Yeah, that's a great question, Kelly, because there are very, very clear boundaries, and we don't want to do harm, Right. Um, So I think what the book does is it gives, uh, it starts out the first five or six chapters are a framework for understanding people, right? A theology of womanhood, understanding of even human development. What are the life stages of a woman? Give some context. And then as it walks through each issue, it talks about what the issue is, what the Bible has to say about it. And so what what does God's word speak into that? And then some initial care for the woman struggling with, we'll just say anxiety, for our example, Um, but it's not going to walk her through a treatment plan of anxiety. It's not going to walk through a curriculum for anxiety. It'll give her other resources. Uh, But as a woman, a helper, reads that, they may say, oh, okay, well, I can pray with her. I can encourage her. I can even help her bring some order and stability to her eating and her sleeping. Fantastic. Those are things that are within my purview. But... I don't necessarily understand how to help someone with complex childhood trauma. Great. You don't have to. <laughs> there are people trained Thank in that. the Lord. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, praise the Lord for science. And he helps us understand the complexities of that. Um, and so I think it gives women enough understanding of particular issues to say, what can I do versus what, what's beyond my ability And therefore, what should I hand off to someone else? And yet, as I say that, Kelly, I want to recognize that not every helper is coming in at the same level. And I'm not just talking about experience, right? Certainly, there's a difference in someone with no counseling training and a master's in counseling or a doctorate in counseling. But there's also a difference in, uh, at the risk of 
I don't want to offend anyone, so hear this charitably. The difference in a 20-year-old wanting to counsel and an 80-year-old wanting to counsel. And some of that's just the wisdom that the Lord gives them through life experiences. Uh, And so I think that the book also takes that into account, that we may have a woman who the Lord has brought her through immense suffering or grief. Uh, She doesn't need that chapter. The Lord has already taught her through His Spirit and her experiences what I've written in that chapter. Uh, But we may have someone else who has no experience with depression and needs some guidance there. So I'm hopeful that it fills a lot of gaps and it serves as a springboard to more training and more learning uh, to be better helpers. And I think that we sometimes also, you know, we always try to tell women leaders, at least I do when I'm doing training, have a list of reputable people, resources by you so that when you do get in a situation and you think this is beyond, like this person really does need someone who has maybe some more training, they're a licensed counselor. And I'm going to maybe even jump into that for just a second, just to clarify some things. But I do think it's like for every leader who's listening to this, have a list of people and resources that you have a file that you can go to, whether it's on your computer, in a folder, whatever. But I do think, Kristen, let's, and, and Elizabeth, you have background in, you know, some education and counseling. Just for our listeners, distinguish a little bit difference between like maybe a biblical counselor and maybe a licensed counselor and maybe just different different levels of counseling. Would that be helpful? I think so. Yes, and I'll, I'll let Kristen take it because I think it's changed even since I was in school because it's a it's constantly moving. But it is, yeah, it is, and and there are so many labels and so many definitions of labels. So um, I'll use ex- explanations more than terms if I can do that. Um, so on one end of a spectrum is what we would call kind of lay pastoral level uh, ministerial type counseling, and that's within the local church. That's kind of the basic kind of the first stop for a lot of women when they're struggling with depression or anxiety or grief or, or whatever, conflict, um, to say, hey, I'm struggling. Um, and they want specifically the, the helper to bring the Word of God to bear on their situation, to minister to them in their suffering. But they're not necessarily going to address underlying physiological issues, or maybe uh, I used complex trauma as an example earlier, childhood trauma, the complexities of that require more training. And so as complexity goes up, need for training goes up. Um, And so further along on that spectrum is what we'd say, maybe the license, uh, a licensed therapist who has been trained in more of those complexities. They typically, they have to have at least a master's degree, a certain number of hours of counseling experience that has been supervised by another clinician. Um, They've had more training and more experience on deeper issues so they can handle more complex things. Now, I would propose that a licensed therapist can also be biblically grounded in his or her approach to counseling. Um, There are ethical considerations there, but uh, a licensed therapist can have spiritual conversations. Um, They can talk about Jesus. They can share the Word of God, provided that counseling gives consent. Go for it, right? So those two aren't mutually exclusive. They're just different people on a care team. Uh, And then further down that spectrum, sometimes we forget there's also psychiatrists and physicians, um, neuropsychologists even, who deal with, we know there's a physiological or brain-based issue. 
Let's treat it medically because we have broken bodies and broken brains too. That's a factor. Uh, And so there's this whole spectrum of people that, again, are part of a care team. One does not negate the other. We cooperate together. And at times, those might even include a nutritionist. It might include a primary care physician. It might include an attorney. It might include uh, a pastor or elder, right? So it's a group of people that are aiming to help someone who's struggling. So we talked a little bit about this, the professional level, but how can we assess if we're in a women's ministry setting, how can we assess when someone just needs to have maybe a mentor, like one of those 80 year old women who's been through similar circumstances and when they do need to go to the next level of professional help? Right. There's, there's two kind of qualifiers, if you will, that I tend to bring in here. One is very obvious. If she's in danger. Uh, so if there is any sort of uh, suicidality, self-harm, or uh, fear of hurting herself or others, that's an immediate referral, right? That, that, that goes beyond our purview. Um, the second one, though, is, is she able to function? Um, so is a woman struggling so much with anxiety or depression or grief even um, that she can't care for herself or she can't care for her children or her home at a very basic level. She can't get out of bed or take a shower. Uh, that's another red flag for us to say, because she needs, she needs a little bit more help. I think beyond those two things, it's a wisdom issue. Uh, and it's an evaluation to say this uh, example, 80-year-old woman, what is her ability to help? How, how has she been trained? What is her experience to speak into this woman's life? If she has a high level of experience and expertise, by all means, right? Uh, if her experience and expertise is lower, uh, then maybe it's more wise to send her to a more qualified person, more equipped person uh, to help this woman who's struggling. Yeah. And I think a, a common issue, I like those two like um, questions to ask. And I think a common issue that at least I've run into in women's ministry circles, and Kelly, you can probably verify or deny this, is prayer request time sometimes ends up being like code word for we're all going to group counsel someone. How could leaders kind of prevent that from happening or get it back on the tracks if it's derailed? Like what are some tactics that people could use? Because I think that does happen a lot because – women maybe don't have those clear boundaries in mind. And so they're like, oh, I went through this. Here's what helped me. And then it just becomes like this whole um, maybe unhelpful, maybe helpful sometimes, but mostly unhelpful time of group therapy. Yeah. I wonder, Elizabeth, if that happens in part because there's not space for the other to happen. And so I wonder if having clearly defined times or spaces for women to say, hey, Women are going to meet with women. Men are going to meet with men. Uh, and I want y'all just to share with one another what you're going through. Now, we'll pray about them at the end, but this time is for sharing and bearing one another's burdens. But this time over here is specifically for prayer. Um, but, you know, a, a small group leader could use lots of different phrases to do that, but um, they want to be respectful and kind, of course, but to say, okay, appreciate the prayer request. Let's bring this back in a little bit. But what that does is that tells me that we need to set aside time for that to happen because clearly it needs to happen. Um, so I think, again, if there's space for the bearing one another's burdens, it won't creep into the prayer request time. And I think that is just a good kind of 
thought about why we sometimes need spaces for just women's groups and men's groups. And, you know, sometimes I get the argument, well, we just have co-ed groups. We don't. But I've. I have been in situations where women have maybe shared a little too much in a mixed group, and it makes men very uncomfortable because they really don't know. They maybe don't understand or they don't have the tools to help, if they're, especially if they're the leader of the group. And so that really is a good reason for us to have those opportunities, like you said, to have spaces for women to um, be able to share. I think, too, Kristen, I would love for you to mention when we think about resources and we think about, okay, well, this maybe is a little beyond me. And they say, I don't even know where to start. Where do I even look for, for resources? Can you maybe help people get a good idea of, are there some good websites or maybe, you know, how do they look at for things in their community that they know maybe this is a trusted person and maybe this person is a believer that I believe is going to line up with our biblical worldview? Yeah, that's a great question, Kelly. Uh, because I, I get, I don't even know how many emails. Do you know of a counselor and so-and-so and so this place and that place? Um, the best place to, to start is the other pastors in the area. Who do you refer to when you have someone who is struggling with X, Y, Z? Um, the pastors or even the associational leaders, I would encourage them to keep lists of therapists and counselors that they trust and that they they know are um, are qualified and and good folks. They might also see uh, they might also contact organizations like the Association for Biblical Counselors, um, CCEF, or ACBC, or or any any of the the alphabet soup all the all the letters uh, counseling groups to see if they have counselors in certain areas. Many of them have lists on their websites for counselors in their their area. To. The other one that I would share um, is there's an organization called Anchored Hope uh, that does counseling, and they do virtual counseling all over the country. Um, but one of the benefits of an organization like an Anchored Hope uh, is that one of the concerns that a lot of people have of getting counseling within the church, especially pastors and pastors' wives, um, is the confidentiality issue. Uh, is this the sense in which our circle uh, is small, and the trusted circle is small. And so sometimes it's actually advantageous to find someone outside of their community because that fosters openness and trust in the sense of, I don't have to worry about, is that person going to talk to this person over here? Or am I going to see this person at Walmart? Uh, it, they know it should be confidential anyways, right? That's a basic of counseling. But they don't have to worry about that if their counselor is two states away. Uh, and their their counseling via Zoom. So you might also try virtual biblical counseling um, through an organization like an Anchored Hope. That that COVID, I think that's one of the good things that came out of COVID is we adjusted to using virtual platforms. Yeah, I think that's great. And we'll have all the links to those websites in our show notes so people can find them easily if they need to. Um, I want to go back just real quick to the group um, situation because I think this is some. I feel like this is a felt need. I've heard it many times, um, so I'm sure people have. But I think one of the important things when you're setting up that group to share burdens is to create clear boundaries as you're setting that up and say, we are not, this is not a counseling session. This is not, we're not professionals. We can refer you to people who are. Um, but I know in, at my church, we have a couple of different opportunities for small groups of women and small groups of men to get together, and that is made very clear, and I appreciate that everywhere. It's just like, this is not, these people are not counselors. 
we will not be counseling you. But if you do need that, we can point you to people who will who will do that. Um, and so I just wanted to make that note as we're setting up, because I think a lot of times people can um, take that like, oh, this is a time to share my burdens and then run with it and be like, oh, this is I'm in counseling, basically. <laughs> you know, so just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. All right, Kristen, you know the question that we ask every time, but we would like to ask you, how has the world of counseling marked you in your walk with Christ? Hmm. Kelly, I think for me, it has, oh, it has shown me the depth of sin and brokenness in this world. Um, and that feels like a very weighty thing. It is a very, very weighty thing. Um, but if we if we cheapen the effects of sin, then we cheapen the effects of grace. Uh, and so that's balanced out by recognizing um, Jesus didn't come to save a lot of okay people, right? Um, and none of us, if we're honest, are actually okay. <laughs> um, but I have seen in counseling some deep, deep sin and brokenness. Um, but it's always a reminder of the, the deep, deep goodness that Jesus brings in the gospel. Uh, and it creates in me this, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Please come quickly uh, because things are are broken and hurting. But the gospel is such good news um, that at the end of the day, that is the only thing that will satisfy. It's the only thing that will help is the gospel. Other things are temporary or temporal, uh, but the gospel is not. So. That's so good. Well, Kristen, this has been we have packed in a lot of information, I feel like, in right at 30 minutes. And so I do want to encourage women. I, I've been telling people, if you're leading in, whether you're just leading a small group or a women's ministry or whatever that looks like, I really do think that Kristen's book um, will be helpful. It's one that you need on your shelf. I think it's one of those books that when, when an issue comes up, like I'll pull it out and I'll be like, okay, what am I dealing with here? What are, what are some basics here that I need to understand about this particular issue? So I just want to encourage people um, that they can go to lifeway.com and go to wherever they buy books and look for counseling women. And uh, Kristen, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the way you're training women to, to go into counseling. We, we need more counselors, right? We do. There's a huge need. We do. All right. Well, thanks again for being here this week and we will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.